Well, good morning to you. It's so good to be in church this weekend, isn't it? My name's Mark. I have my welcome. I know you think I'm one of the Daves. My middle name's David. Maybe I'll go by David for now on. Just be one of the Daves. It'll be easier for you guys. My name's Mark. We're glad you're here this weekend. A very special welcome goes to those over in the blend. Give it up for the blend. Come on. Give it up for Amp down the road. Give it up for Roan County. And before we give it up for Bearden, let me, have, let me tell you some news. This is exciting for us. We told you a couple weeks ago that God has answered a prayer and given us a campus pastor for the Bearden campus, which is exciting. Give it up for that. And he had to talk to his employer first, but this is Jeremy Good. Jeremy and Stephanie Good are joining our staff mid-October. So would you give it up for Jeremy Good and say hello to Bearden. Bearden, we see you. I hope Jeremy's standing in amongst the crowd and people are applauding and loving him there. We're glad to be together. Glad to actually see some amazing answers to prayer in our Bearden and on our Bearden campus. Excited about the days ahead there. Hey, as you just heard, we're jumping into Revelation. We're in week two of Revelation. So if you've been um, out for a bit, you haven't missed a whole lot, we're just a week in. So get a, get a Revelation journal. They're there on the, uh, in the back of the venues or in the venue that you're seated in. You can go get a, a, a Revelation journal and follow along with us. And the, the, the question we're trying to answer with the Revelation and our series of Revelation is, what do we do with this book? What do we do with this book? There's a lot of people who have had some excitement about us studying this book. And there are a lot of folks that are going, yeah, I don't know. I've never really spent a lot of time in Revelation. And you're probably wondering a question, like, is this going to be a snooze fest for the next couple months? I don't know. But here's the deal. We're going to try and answer, what do we do with this book? And so I was out with a friend about, I don't know, it was maybe two months ago. And I was in a conversation with him. And he's a believer. He loves Jesus. And um, I drove away from this conversation. I, I got to tell you, I was a little irked. I was kind of bugged because we, we, we talked about all the things we typically talk about, the, the status of the world, um, politics, morality, everything from abortion to sex outside of marriage to gender issues that are so prevalent now. And I realized, you know, we have a very different view on lots of these things. A lot of these things that I, I used to think were more black and white, that I, I, would thought, I would have thought as a follower of Christ that we'd be more in alignment together. And what dawned on me, and as I was preparing for this weekend, what dawned on me is that the picture, the, the picture that I have of Jesus, the view that I have of Jesus, has everything to do with how I believe he's called me to live. The, the, the picture that I have in my mind, in my heart, and in, in my world of who Christ is, has everything to do, then, with how I live my life. And so, I don't think you can answer this question, because I've been wrestling with it for a few weeks. I don't think you can answer this question on the spot, and I think it's a big question to ask, but maybe one that we ought to be exploring and thinking about as a people, as followers of Jesus. What's your picture of Jesus? What's your view of Jesus? When you think of Jesus, when you, when you close your eyes, or maybe you don't close your eyes to pray, but when you pray, what, what's the picture that you have of Jesus when you close your eyes to pray? And some of you folks are are not visual people. So for you, it's like, what's the concept you have? What do you think he cares about? What do you think he thinks about? What, what, do, you, what do you have in your mind's eye or, or in your intellectual understanding of who you know Jesus to be? Because when you think of Jesus, that's the person you think of. That, that's the one that comes to mind. And for me, this has been, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, over my lifetime, and I'm getting older and older with each passing day, over my lifetime, I feel like my view and my picture of Jesus has continued to, to be a confusing place, but also a place that's kind of morphing and growing. In the early days of my walk with Jesus, I had this, Will, I think his name's Wilner Sumner. He, he, he portrayed a picture of Christ that was in the back of our church hanging up. Anybody remember that, that, that picture? Back in the day before there was air conditioning, funeral homes would give you fans in church, and that would be the picture on the back of the fan. 
So I'd be fanning myself all throughout church looking at this picture of Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. And it may depict him in some way, shape, or form. But in my view and my understanding of Jesus, when I prayed, it was, he was very one-dimensional. He was this picture of Jesus that was kind of looking off in another direction. Still very kind and, and good, but, but that was the picture of Jesus that I had. And, and we all have a picture of Jesus. There's something that comes to mind when we think about him. And i got to tell you, I played a clip um, years ago. One of the guys on our staff put me up to playing a clip that I should never have played in church. I want to apologize if you were here. I played a clip from Talladega Nights. It's not a good movie. <laughs> because you laugh, most of you have seen that movie. It's not a good movie. It's not a movie one should promote from the pulpit. And yet, the clip that I played, you know, there's something in humor that ties into the truth. It's when they were sitting around the table, and if you don't know the movie, Ricky Bobby is the head of this family who's a racing family, and they're sitting around the table, and they get in this conversation. It's kind of interesting. Like, who's the Jesus that they pray to? Well, I pray to rock star Jesus. I like that Jesus. And I don't know where you find that in the Bible. And Ricky Bobby landed on, whenever, whenever I pray, and he says it over and over and over, I pray to sweet baby Jesus in the manger. And so he bowed his head, sweet baby Jesus, that's how he prays to Jesus. That's the picture he has of Jesus. And you're smiling and laughing because there's probably a picture that you have, that I have, that we don't realize we have. But when we think about who Jesus is, that's the picture, that's the thought that comes to mind. And in recent years, remember when the world shut down and we didn't have anything to watch on TV? And The Chosen came out. How many people have seen The Chosen? The Chosen came out. We got a, we got a new picture of Jesus. It took that Wilner Somner picture of Jesus and, and the portrait from 1940 and, and moved it to a new place. He's every bit as serious, but he has a lot more social skills. He's, he's more engaging, even jovial. This is the picture of Jesus we got from The Chosen, which I, I would also say it's probably true. There's layers of this that are true, and yet here's the point. It's not the complete picture of Jesus. And the scriptures give us an even greater and more complete picture of Jesus. He reveals himself from Genesis to Revelation, and you'll see it clearly in our text today. He's revealing a part of who he is, a portion, a level of who he is that's profound, even scary. He gives John this picture of who he is. So the big idea for the weekend, if you're a Christ follower, and I pray to God that you are, I pray that you've given your heart and life to Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, I must embrace all of who Jesus is. That's what we're called to. We're called to a picture that he's given us of himself and aligning our hearts and lives under that rather than making him fit the picture that we have of him. And so in this book, from Genesis to Revelation, and in this book called Revelation, in chapter 1, John gets a new picture of who Jesus is. And what's really cool about this picture of who Jesus is, John walked with Jesus. He looked at Jesus face to face. He could tell you if those pictures are him or anywhere close. He walked with Jesus before the resurrection, before the cross, before the resurrection, he experienced Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection. And, and Jesus came in some type of a form, in some way, shape, or form, still human, but he was unrecognizable at first until Jesus identified himself to the disciples. And now John is 90-plus years old. He's an old guy, and he's locked on the island of Patmos. It's a beautiful island if you've ever been. It's, it's beautiful, but I wouldn't want to be in prison there. John was in prison there for what? Because he was teaching and preaching the gospel. They didn't know what to do with him, so they put him in prison out on an island. And John is in prison, and in this prison experience, Jesus comes to him in this amazing vision, and he reveals himself to John in a profound way. And as a follower of Christ, I must embrace a fuller picture of who Jesus is, all of who he tells us he is. 
And so here's where we get to in our text today. John defines who he is. Jesus defines himself. He defines who he is in and through this vision, a further more complete picture of who he is. John chapter 1, let's jump in at verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos and on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in this book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars from the mouth. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And in his face it was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, this shouldn't surprise us, I fell at his feet though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the key to death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are yet to take place. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John has this amazing, profound picture and vision of who Jesus is, and this description scares him half to death. He, it's, a, it's a far cry and a far experience from uh, Williams, Wilner Sumner's picture of us from 1940, right? There's a, there's a different picture being portrayed and described of who Jesus is, and it scares him half to death. He says he falls down as if dead. He sees Jesus, this brilliant picture of Jesus, his face shining so bright it's like looking into the full sun, his feet like bronze, he's clothed in a robe, he's got this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, his voice is like the, the roar of, of mighty waters of thunder. If you ever stood before Niagara Falls and heard the volume of that, this is the experience that John having a more complete picture of the Jesus that he knew. And he says that he was scared to death. He fell down as if dead. This picture's scary. If it scares you, it scared John. You're in good company. And yet I don't believe this is the exact picture. I don't believe that when we walk across the, the throne of glory, the, uh, the gates of glory, and we get in to see Jesus face to face, he's going to show up as Father Time with a sword coming out of his mouth. I don't think that's the picture. I don't think this is an exact representation of who Jesus is right now. Remember what we learned last week? Symbols were meant to be what? Symbolic. They symbolize something far greater than we can grasp or understand. They, they symbolize something else. These are the symbols that John has. These are the words he uses to describe what he's experiencing and seeing. If this was a literal, literal picture that John was describing, the sun shine, shone so bright from the brilliance of God, how would he even be able to see his eyes, his feet, his face, or anything? He's layering a picture for us of, of the majesty, of the greatness of who Jesus is. And yet there's something in this picture that, folks, i got to tell you, if we're going to be people of the word, we have to allow it to influence and infiltrate our picture of who Jesus is. The picture I have and this picture that we're getting from the scriptures, there's got to be a place where this overlaps and actually becomes a part of how I understand who Jesus is in my life. We live in a time more than ever before, it seems to me, like people pick and choose from the scriptures. We pick and choose. 
You, you sit with people all over, the, all, over, all over and throughout your worlds, I'm sure, who go, yeah, I believe this part. I believe this part of the Bible, but this part, th- this is a little off for me. And so we start picking and choosing of, of what scripture we're going to actually apply or believe and which scripture that, that in, our, in our estimation, our view of fairness or rightness or justice that we think God is. And so we, we have a picture of God that's based on who we think he is rather than a picture on God based on who he says he is. And I have this conversation at least twice a year with somebody. A year or two ago, it was with a family member, and they said, yeah, I don't believe, I don't believe God who's loving without anyone to go to hell. That just doesn't seem right to me. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? How could he do that? There's no way that that's how this is going to all end up. At the end, when, all, when the role is called up yonder, we're all going to be there. And that's a picture this person has of God. And it has a picture of, of what they view and believe to be true about the love of God. And yet, God says he's a God of love. He, he describes himself as a God of love. And, and, and as we talked about last week, his return could be imminent. Why isn't he coming back right now? I think it's because he loves us. Why isn't he coming back right now today? He's holding off so that all men and women, all boys and girls, would come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. In, in 2 Peter, we're told this. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's longing for people, men and women, boys and girls, to come to a saving knowledge of who he is. Why is he coming back today? He's longing for us to still respond. He's longing for us to turn from ourselves and repent. You want to talk about what love is? That's love. God loved us so much that he gave his very own son to, to, to rescue us, to redeem us, to pay a price that we couldn't pay. That's love. John says in Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. There's no greater act of love than Jesus providing a way for us to be rescued and saved. So here's, here's what I hope you hear from me today. The Bible's not a menu that you can pick and choose from. It's not something you look at, well, I, I, I get this part. That's good. But th- this part over here, ah, I'm not going to apply that. That's not who we are. So if you're relatively new to Tudor's Church, let me tell you something about us. We have four values. One of them is that we're word dependent. We believe the word of God is the authority in which we, we stake our lives upon. We, we believe that all scripture, from 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. We've, we've risked our lives on the word of God. We believe the word of God is the authority from Jesus himself. And I know you're probably sitting here, well, that takes a lot of faith to believe that God could protect by the power of his Holy Spirit, could protect the original writings without error over centuries with with multiple authors and and create a book that that actually works together and and doesn't contradict itself. And yet we see over and over on the pages of Scripture and throughout time that this is the very God who's done this very work. And we've risked We've risked and staked our, our reputation on the truth that, that God is who he says he is from the word of God. We're word dependent, unapologetically. John says in, Revela- or in John chapter 1, back in another book, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. In the beginning was the word. Do you remember who the word was in the beginning? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Jesus was there from the beginning was present as he's writing and will be present for all of eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then he says in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen in his glory 
glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus himself was there from the very beginning, always existent, and then, and then moved from that place of, et- of, of, of eternal glory and came and stepped foot and dwelt among us. The incarnation of Christ. He, he became one of us so he could rescue and save us. And it's this picture of Jesus that John experiences in this vision. It's one person, two natures. One person, it's the person of Jesus in two natures. He knew Jesus to be a human being. He looked in his face. He walked with him and talked with him a long life's narrow way. And now he's experiencing this picture of Jesus that is eternal. God is fully, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And John says, when I turned I, to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven gold lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like, underline this, circle it, one like the Son of Man. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Hey, last week we were told, if you want to understand Revelation, because some of you have been really excited about Revelation, if you want to understand everything about Revelation, then go back and study the entire Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is connected to Revelation. This whole book works together, from Genesis to Revelation. That's why we started the year in Genesis and we're ending in Revelation. The whole book works together. And John gets this. He understands this. Because when... Jesus refers to himself over and over throughout the Gospels. The, 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 the most popular reference that Jesus uses to refer to himself is what? It's the Son of Man. 81 times in the Gospels, the reference to Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of Man. What does that mean? Jesus understood exactly what it meant. There was a prophecy spoken about the one who would come, the Messiah who would come, who would be fully God and fully man. And he was called the Son of Man. All the way back to Daniel chapter 7, in a vision that Daniel had about the one who would come, the Messiah who would one day come to reign and rule. And he says in verse 13, I saw night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all the peoples of the nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. From Daniel chapter 7, Jesus knew exactly what he's saying. It wasn't lost on John. When John looked back and saw Jesus, he said, I saw one as like the Son of Man, fully God and fully man, present among me. And the third time in chapter 1, Jesus refers to the fact that he's eternal. He was there, and he'll be here. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The third time in Revelation chapter 1, he says this, In an effort to bring peace to John, because John's pretty startled, he says, Fear not, for I'm the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forever. I've come back to life, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, how many times when you've prayed and you've prayed to Jesus, do you see him holding the keys of death and Hades? And that's a more complete picture of who he is. It's a more complete picture of who Jesus is. And frankly, I still pray to that, you know, beige robe Jesus from 1940. And yet, that's true. That's probably a depiction of him. And maybe the picture of the chosen has added another layer to that for me and for you. And yet, the reality is, there, there, there's a Jesus that, that we serve. There's a, a much clearer picture throughout the entire scriptures of who he is. Yes, he walks with me and talks with me. I don't want you to feel like Jesus is any less personal than he is. He is. He cares about everything in your life. Do you know that? He cares about all the intimate details in your life, the things you're thinking about right now while you're not listening to me speak. He cares about those things. He knows what you've got going on today, tomorrow, next week. He knows. And he actually goes, I know you're trying to listen to that guy, but I care about those things too. 
That's Jesus. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. But also, he's this Jesus who's going to reign and rule for all of eternity. He was here at the beginning. He's here now. And he's coming back one day to reign and rule. And every, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord. He holds the keys of death and Hades in his hand. And he's holding off because he's longing that all men and women, boys and girls, would come to saving knowledge of, and faith in him. Paul gives us a, a further description of who he is throughout the scriptures. All through the scriptures, there's insight of who he is. And in Colossians, he says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Wow. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created for him, all, cre all created for him and all created by him. And he's before all things. In him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's in charge of the church. Not this church. Yes, absolutely. But the church worldwide. He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. And in everything he might be preeminent. What, that, what does that mean? Above everything else. Preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen what? You've seen the Father. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, Everything you need about doctrine is wrapped up in those verses. And by the blood of his cross, he's reconciled the world to himself for all those who would respond and say yes to Jesus. This image in the scriptures reveals his nature, it reveals his character, and it reveals his purpose. And our view and our understanding of Jesus moves further toward completion when we actually encounter him on the pages of scripture. Let me say it again. Our view and our understanding of him moves further toward completion when we en encounter him on the pages of Scripture. He's told us who he is all throughout the book. Jesus defined who he is, and he gave John a beautiful picture of a more complete revelation of himself. And that leads to our part. You want to know what our part is? The answer would be yes. Our part is to continually align with that Jesus to continue to align our lives with that Jesus, that we find ourselves in submission and subjection to Jesus, who he says he is. And I love how our, in my mind anyway, our sermon series kind of overlapped. It wasn't really intentional. We hadn't thought that piece out. But I, I still, I'm still wrestling with what we came out of in the month of August, listening. And there was, there was a, a religious leader who came to Jesus. And in Matthew, we see this conversation between this religious leader. And he came to Jesus who knew the law. He knew the law really well. And he goes, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? When you look back in the Old Testament, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' words were not just for the guy who asked. They were for the church, for us. We love the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We talked about this, that there'd be an exclusive commitment to God, to no other person, no other, no other allegiance or loyalty on the face of this earth, that we'd have an exclusive relationship, you, you personally with Jesus, me personally with Jesus, that we'd love him most above all other things, above all other people, that, that we would love him with everything we've got. All that we have belongs to him. Everything I have belongs to him. My body, my intellect, my thoughts, my emotion, my family, my wallet. Everything I have belongs to him and is in subjection and submission to him. This is the Jesus who you and I said yes to. This is a more complete picture of who, who Jesus has called us to follow in himself. And so let me just say, if you feel like, wow, I don't have a complete picture of Jesus, welcome. Welcome to the club. 
I don't know who has a complete picture of Jesus. A complete picture. i got to be honest with you. Sometimes it's this very question that, that makes me hesitant to preach any weekend. Who am I? I'm just a kid from New Jersey. What do I know? I remember 30 years ago preaching about Jesus. And what I said about him was true. But I look back now and I go, I didn't have a clue who Jesus was compared to what I know now about Jesus. And so wisdom would say to me, at the age I am now, well, if that's true, Mark, then maybe five years from now, you'll have a more clearer picture. Maybe I'll just hush up and wait a while. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be speaking for a bit. And yet here's the reality. I'm never going to get there. You're never going to get there. There's never going to be a place where I, you, have a complete, total picture of Jesus because there's always more to know. There's always more to experience. There's always more to understand. Not just facts about him, but who he says he is and who he reveals himself to be in our lives. It's a beautiful understanding of what God's called us to. He's calling us to align our, our hearts and our lives under the very word he's given us to understand who he is. And on this side of heaven, we're going to be moving toward that day in and day out, that, that space of alignment. I love alignment. I love the word. I feel like there's, there, there's such imagery there. Have you ever driven a car that was out of alignment? Anybody? Like so bad out of alignment, like if you let go of the wheel, like, whoa, it's taking me off into the ditch. Right? It's like you got to white knuckle that thing to get it back in place. And sometimes I think we're there in our relationship with God. We know where we're supposed to be going, and we're kind of out of alignment, and we're white knuckling to get it back where we're supposed to be. And yet God calls us to have a picture of him that's in alignment. It's a total different experience when the car is aligned. Coming into alignment with Jesus isn't a one-time decision. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward and say, I'm committing to alignment with Jesus. It's not a one-time decision. But it's a life of continually allowing him to shape us and to transform us. Coming into alignment with Jesus isn't a one-time decision. It's a life of continually allowing him to shape and transform us. You know, I had a, a sad conversation about a year or so ago with a guy. He came up to me after one of my messages, and he, he, was, he was adding some, some layers to what I'd said, and it was really helpful. And actually, that wasn't the sad part. I was really encouraged. Like, wow, I wish I would have known that an hour ago. I would have used that. Like, that was great. And then as he was walking away from me, he goes, yeah, I don't come to church anymore to learn about Jesus. I pretty much have that figured out. You know when someone says something to you and you're like, did he just say that? And he was halfway down the aisle and I was like, what? what? Is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing. It made me sad because I don't think that's accurate. I, don't, I, I can't imagine getting to a place where you think you have it all figured out. Like, if, if you or I haven't changed our opinion or thought about Jesus, something we thought we knew, and then found ourselves correcting our own understanding of who he is, if we haven't been there, there's probably a question about our humility. And following Jesus, there's always more to understand. I don't think I can figure him out, but I want to pursue him. I want to find myself in a place where I'm aligning my heart and my life under him, where God continually has the access to speak to my world and to my life. And Jesus said to the disciples, when he was getting ready to leave them, he goes, I know this is scary. I'm getting ready to leave. And I've been among you. I've been present among you. But I'm going to send someone who's going to also be among you. He's the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I was with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and to bring you to remembrance all that I've said to you. It's the Spirit of God who's going to take the very words of God that he's given to us and illuminate them and speak truth to our hearts and to our lives. We don't have to figure it out on our own. You don't have to be smart enough. Oh, I'm just not the smartest guy in the room. doesn't matter. The Spirit is, and he can speak in you and to you. The Spirit of God will continue to teach us and, and cause us to understand a greater and clearer picture of who Jesus is. There's always more to know. Yes, more facts, but there's always more to know about his 
personhood, his character, and his purpose for us as the church. And our part is to continually to align ourselves with who he says he is in his word. And here's the beauty of all this. He promises to be with us. He promises the disciples, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my very spirit. He promises us his presence. And there's this picture in the vision that John has of Jesus that that got me all tickled in a sense. Like I was so excited to actually see it on the pages of Scripture. John was worshiping in the Spirit in this cave on Patmos. I don't know what that looked like, but I'd love to, I'd love to have seen it. What does it look like for John to be at 90-plus years old with all of you knew about Jesus worshiping in the Spirit? But he's worshiping in the Spirit, and all of a sudden behind him a trumpet blows. Can you imagine somebody come behind you and blowing a trumpet? Of course he was startled. Of course he fell down as if dead. That's scary. And yet... He gave John a picture and a vision of of who he was. And he's saying, hey, and John looked back. And when he looked back to see what it was, who it was that was startling him, he looked back and he saw the Son of Man, Jesus. And he says he saw him among the lampstands. That ought to trigger something for us. He saw him among the lampstands. The seven lampstands were there, which in verse 20 he says what the lampstands are. Those those lampstands represent the church. Well, that goes back to the the, the presence of God that was always present in lampstands when, when actually he was... In, in the temple itself, the lampstands represented the presence of God. And for this, John, John's triggering some, some memory. He goes, in Zechariah 4, when the prophet said, there's going to be one who's going to come. He's going to be among the lampstands, but I'm going to rebuild my temple. I'm going to be real, rebuild my temple, and I'm going to be present among the lampstands in my temple. And now John is seeing this picture of Jesus, and Jesus is saying to him, the presence I had in the temple has now shifted. And this is significant. He's saying, the presence that I've had with my people in the temple has now shifted. My presence is among the churches. My presence now is among the church, among the seven lampstands, the seven churches that he defines in verse 20. And John sees the Son of Man amidst the lampstands. He's present in every one of us, absolutely. The Holy Spirit's present among every one of us. And he's present in us as we gather, as we're a part of the church. He's a present and amidst his church. And the church is not a man-made deal. Let me just say this. I feel like sometimes I have to give an excuse. The church isn't something that man thought up so guys like me could have a job. It really wasn't. It was always ordained by God. It was the tool. As faulty as you may think it is and has been over the years, it's his tool to reach the lost for Christ. The church has always been near and dear to the heart of God. In Colossians, we already read, Paul said that he's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. Jesus uses other metaphors to talk about the church. He says the, the, the church is his bride. He, he's, he's seeking to create a, a, a perfection amongst his bride, that we'd be a people sold out, all in for Jesus, that when he returns, that his bride would be ready for the bridegroom. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives. It wasn't about husbands, but he says, Love your wives. How? Love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. How did he love her? He gave himself up. Jesus laid his life down for the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And what I think is intriguing here, as, as John looks back and sees Jesus, the Son of Man, in his vision, and he's present among the lampstands, he's present among the churches, the seven churches that he's about to write to. Come back next week, we're going to start looking at the seven letters of the seven churches that he's writing to. And and get this picture. He says, I'm present among the churches. Five out of the seven churches were tanking. They weren't seven great churches. They weren't like killing it. They weren't like 
living this all-in love for Jesus kind of churches. They weren't. Five were struggling. In fact, if you read some of the, the New Testament, Jesus' words and, and the words to the church are always, turn back, turn back, repent, stop treating each other this way. There, there's a call for us to be more obedient as the church of God. And Jesus is saying, I know the churches I'm getting ready to tell you to write to, and they're not doing too well. Only two out of the five are doing well, and that's just for right now. But I'm present among my church, broken as it is. Do you hear that? Off kilter as it is. Stumbling and struggling at it as it is. It may not be the perfect tool, but it's the tool that God has chosen to use to reach the world for Christ. And he's present among us. So if you're here this morning and you feel broken, boy, if you knew what was going on inside of me, Mark, right now, I'm a mess. God says I'm present. If you think the church you're in has some brokenness in it, God's present. He's here. He's amongst us. I think it's amazing that God would say I'm present among my church. And I believe we're in this unique space in history right now for the church, but I'll get there in a second. I believe we're in this space, and I'm tired of referring to COVID, but man, has it not affected our lives? COVID shut the world down, didn't it? It shut the world down. I'm looking at a lot of you. A lot of your businesses have changed forever. The whole world went home. They went home from school. They went home from work. They went home from church, and everybody started rethinking, why are we doing what we're doing? Businesses have changed. Corporations have changed. The church has changed. It's hard to get good workers. People get hired on Tuesday to come to work Wednesday and never show up. People can't get people to work. Where did they all go? Is there a rapture I missed? <laughs> I feel like there's like millions of people who like disappeared on the face of the earth. Like where did the workforce go? They all went home or something like what's, what's going on? And it happened in the church too. I've heard a couple people refer to the last couple years as the great era of resignations. Everybody's resigning. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going back to that. I'm done with that. I'm out of that. I'm... People are making their choices, and that's not right or wrong. It is what it is. And the church has experienced the same thing. Heart, heartbreaking stories I've had with friends of mine on the phone, pastors who've been in ministry for years. Done. I'm out, man. This is too much. I'm out of here. A lot of folks who used to be here aren't here anymore. Have you noticed? Hundreds of people left our church. I'm talking about our church. They've left our church. They went somewhere else. Hundreds of you came. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. I think it's a unique time to be in church. And the only thing that makes me nervous about some of you, because I've heard, wow, it's so great to, great to be in this church. It's so wonderful. And Give us some time. <laughs> we're going to disappoint you, just like maybe the last one did too. And we're going to hurt your feelings. Not intentionally. We're broken. You, you're sitting next to broken people. you got a broken man in front of you. We're broken people doing the best we know to love and follow Jesus. But but the church is in a, in, a, in a new and a real place that I don't think we've ever seen. And I don't know how long this window for us is going to stay here. But here's what I believe to be true. And this is just a Mark Hoffman thought. This isn't anything I've read or believed or heard from somebody else. I believe there's this unique window we're in. You're here because you want to be here. I've convinced myself of that. It made me feel better. You're here because you want to be here. You didn't have to come back to church, but you came back to church. You're here because you want to be here. So here's my call. And I believe what God's calling us to do, then be here. Let's be here. Let's be in the church. Let's be the church that God's called us to be. Let's love him with an all-in kind of love. The unique window we're in is amazing. We know that we know that we know as two of us church, if you haven't heard this before, you'll hear it today and again and again and again. We know that we're, we're to be about what we were called to be about when God started this church 20-some years ago. We're, we're about people, men and women, boys and girls, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? 
We're about seeing people rescued and saved from death and Hades to which Jesus holds the keys and is holding off because he's longing for every man and woman and boy and girl to be rescued and saved from that. We believe we have an impact, and God's called us to have an impact in the greater Knoxville area. Nine different counties plus, close to a million people or more of folks who are a representation of the greater Knoxville area. We know that God's called us to be a part of that, to see the world change, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We know that God's given us this mission and this vision, and we're about it. And if you're going to be here, you're about it. We're going to require it, demand it, pummel you until you join in and get a part. This is what God's called us to do. And here's what I also know about this. Seven different venues, three different campuses, whatever size we are, We can't do it. What we've been called to do is impossible. We can't do this, John. We we can't reach over a million people. It's not possible. But it is possible if we stop seeing ourselves as the church and see ourselves as the church. We're the church. There are men and women and good churches and organizations and ministries all throughout the greater Knoxville area that love Jesus and are are on the same point and on the same mission that God's called us to. We can do this as we partner with, with folks in our in the greater Knoxville area in Tennessee. God's called us to have an impact, and we're going to do it. By goodness, by golly, we're going to do it. We're going to be a part of it. Last Wednesday night, on all three of our campuses, we had an all-in prayer night, and here's what we prayed about. We prayed that God would continue to open up new doors, new opportunities, new avenues for us to have an impact in our community. It was a powerful night. If you missed that one, there'll be another one in January. Get on board, join us, be a part of those nights. We know that we we have to be a part of of joining other people to see the mission of God, the work of God accomplished in the greater Knoxville area. And we're excited about it and thrilled that God's called us and allowed us to be a part of this. And so here are the next steps for this next week. The first is this. As we look into our next steps, the first one's this. Aligning our lives with who Jesus says he is. Folks, let's be a people who align our lives with who Jesus says he is. It's shocking to me, and I want to believe that our church is is unique and maybe doesn't fit the statistics, but most Christians don't have a regular time in the scriptures. Most Christians, look around the room. Most of us aren't in the scriptures regularly. So when you're defining and, and, and having a picture of Jesus, you're coming to that description. You're coming to that finality of a decision in your heart or mind or your concept of God based on what? Your thinking, your feelings, God's told us who he is. Let's be a people who are aligned with the word of God. In your bulletin, if you open it up on the flip flip page, you'll see this, this area called Live It Out. It's an opportunity for you and I to spend time in the word this week, to actually allow the word of God to speak to us, the spirit of God to speak to us through his very word that Jesus promised he would and teach us the truths about himself. How cool is it and would it be if we weren't only doing that individually, but we were doing that corporately as a church? that across all of our campuses, those who call Two Rivers their home, that that this would mark us, that we'd be a people that are word-dependent. And I feel like sometimes, because we say this every week, it becomes like white noise. Anybody have white noise in their offices? So we want you to live it out. Let me say it in a different way. We want you to live it out. We want you to live it out. I want you to live it out. Let's be a part of it. Let's live this thing out. Pick it up. It's an easy thing. Pick it up. Start doing that with us this week. Other thing I want to call you to do and the next step is to pray for the church in your neighborhood. I, I passed like three or four or five churches on my way to church this morning. Started praying for each of them. I couldn't get to the next one and finish the prayer from the last one. Pray for the churches closest to you in your neighborhood. We're going to spend some time this morning before we actually move further into worship. We're going to spend some time praying for the churches that are nearer to us, to our campuses. Your campus pastor at Roan County and out of Bearden. 
are going to spend some time praying for the churches near you all, and we're going to spend some time praying for the churches near us. Let's be a people who see the, the church of God much bigger than Two Rivers Church. It's so much bigger than us. And that ought, to bring you, that ought to bring you a great deal of relief and a great deal of comfort and a great deal of joy knowing that we're partnering. We could be partnering with people all over our, our counties for the sake of the gospel. And before we get there, I want to go back to where we started. I want you to spend a moment or two right now. And I want you to ask Jesus. Start asking him this question this week. Ask Jesus this question in prayer. Where in my view of you is there need for alignment? Jesus, where in my view of you is there need for alignment? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And God, we're, we're so incredibly grateful that we can ask you a question, knowing that you'll respond, that you hear us, and you want to speak to us. And so in the stillness of our hearts and our lives right now, Jesus, where in my view of you is there need for alignment? Would you just speak? Would you bring something to mind? Jesus, we long to have a more complete picture of you. God, would you show us what to do with what you said to us right now? Some of you think you might have heard your own voice. That was you. That was the voice of God telling you what it is. God, show us how to live in that this week. Show us what that's supposed to look like for us. As we continue to understand who you are from the very pages that you've written. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. We're going to pray one we're going to spend a little, one, more, one more a moment or so in prayer. We ask you to stand with me and, and pray with me for other churches. God, your work and mission is clear to us. And what's also clear to us is that it's beyond us. It's the work of your church in the world, and it's the work of your church in our world, right here in our region. And so we pray for those like us, those like us who love you, God, who are also committed to the gospel work. We pray for, specifically, we pray for Dixie Lee Baptist Church. We pray for Faith Promise. We pray for Concord Baptist. We pray for North Shore. We pray for Christ's Covenant. We pray for First Baptist and Lenore City. And every church there and in between. God, for those who are worshiping you even this day, I pray that you would continue to reveal um, all that you long for each of these churches to know about you. I pray that you'd bless and, and show great favor in their strategies. I pray that men and women, boys and girls across the region in which we call home, the region in which we call Tennessee and Knoxville, that this kingdom would be radically different weeks, months, years from now because of the work of your people, us joining you on mission for all that you want, all that you long for, all, all that you're holding off to see and experience as you draw the church to yourself. God, we pray for your great favor. It's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus we ask this. If this is your prayer, would you say amen? amen? Hey, a guy named James Hudson Taylor said this, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so let's declare the lordship of Christ together as we continue to worship this morning.